This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers exclusively. And remember, for all of your wagering needs, go to the Bet Rivers app, which gets better and better all the time. And remember, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, play Sugar House in Connecticut. Let's start with the baseball. We'll get to the U.S. Open uh, on what was a busy Father's Day weekend, and let's start with the Mets, who welcomed in the Cardinals, who came into New York reeling as the uh, worst team in the National League, really couldn't get out of their own way, and of course, they got healthy uh, in New York as they uh, beat the Mets two out of three and beat them yesterday uh, 8-7 in another uh, puzzling game by the Mets. Now, the amazing thing was Alonso came back. Did he rush himself back? Maybe. He had a rough game, but give him credit for wanting to push back. Most athletes take more time than necessary and wait and wait and wait. He seemed, you know, and now the Mets are going to get criticized on this side for letting him come back too early. Why didn't he go to do rehab game? You know, listen, he knows whether he can play or not. He went out, he fielded. He went out, he took batting practice. He went out and he worked. And he knows whether he feels well enough to play or not. He's a professional. He's been around the block. He knows. So he didn't have a good first game. But don't worry about it. If he says he can come back, he comes back. Maybe he pushed himself back a little early. But you know what? A lot of athletes do that. He doesn't like sitting out. So give him credit for that. You know, he's the least of their problems uh, right now. And their problems are uh, incredibly extensive. As the Mets get up this morning as they head to Houston, and Houston has uh, gone into a slump. They've lost 7 out of 10. They've lost 4 in a row. They have injuries. Uh, They have guys missing from the lineup. They have lost pitchers. So they are uh, struggling a little bit right now. They actually have the same record the Yankees do with 39 and 33. Uh, They're in the same spot as far as the wild card chase goes, but it's a little early for wild card. It is a little bit, but I'll bring that up with the Mets in a minute because it does play significantly into some of the stuff with the Mets. Um... The Mets are 33 and 38. They don't do anything well. They don't hit enough. They don't, lately they don't field their positions well enough and play situational baseball well enough. And their pitching is just, just awful. They don't get enough out of the big two. And other than that, it's highly inconsistent whatever they get out of anybody. Uh, some days they do, some days they don't. They get very little out of the pen. The pen isn't very good. And the pen was short yesterday. Uh, it was a little puzzling. I'm, listen, I know Buck's playing with a short deck right now. He got very little out of his starting pitcher yesterday. He wasn't looking for Carrasco to leave the game that early, but he had to take him out. I mean, he'd already given up six runs. And every time the Mets came back, he came, he, you know, he let them add on. So you had to get him out of the game. And that stretched the pen. I was just a little surprised that 
even though a couple of the balls were hit okay on, on against Robinson, that when he only threw nine pitches, that he didn't bring him back for another inning because they were going to, you know, they needed to get more than that out of him. Plus, he's their best reliever. You know, that doesn't mean he couldn't have given up a home run. Adovino gave up a home run. All right? It doesn't mean that he wouldn't have given up a home run. All right? That's not the point. The point is I just thought after just nine pitches, I would and, and being in the short pen, I would have given him another inning. But whatever Buck does right now doesn't work because the team's bad. And when you're playing badly, you know, you make everyone look bad. You make the manager look bad. Buck didn't get stupid. He's the same guy who managed the team last year when everybody was basically kissing his ring. Same guy. He just has a lot of issues this year. He doesn't have any starting pitching. He doesn't have a good bullpen. He hasn't gotten any consistency out of his lineup. They've tried to do a bunch of different things during the season and mix and match with the lineup and stuff, and it hasn't worked. Nothing's worked. And now they go on a tough trip. They go to Houston. They go to Philly. Philly's playing very well. They come home. They play the Brewers. They come home. They play the Giants. The Giants are on fire. So right now, anybody is going to give this team trouble. Now, the big question that you're hearing There's two things you hear right now that Met fans want to know about. One, do we get rid of Buck? I don't think that serves any purpose. Buck didn't just get stupid. Okay, Buck can manage the team. You know that. Is somebody going to come in and do better than Buck? Are the players sick of Buck? Well, you don't know that and I don't know that. If ownership knows that and they know that the players cringe every time Buck talks, well, then they have to make a change. If that's not the case, they don't need to make a change. He's not the issue. He knows how to manage a game. Then the other question you hear is, uh, do we let you know this hierarchy make the decisions? Well, they're the only ones there. They're going to make the decisions. <laughs> And then the big question is, do the Mets become sellers? The Mets don't ever have to become sellers because explain to me why people become sellers. They become sellers to exchange high-priced players for prospects and to open up free money so that they can be spent on other players. It's a way of decreasing payroll on what are contracts you don't want anymore and adding prospects. The Mets don't ever have to worry about what they do with their money. They can dump a contract. They can add a contract. They can add another contract. They can eat a contract. They don't have that issue. So the Mets, in essence, should never be sellers. There's no reason for them to be sellers. They don't have a lot to give anybody anyway. If they try to dump a high-priced guy, they'd have to give up something to do it because people aren't going to take those contracts without getting something in return. Just like the Mets had to take Cano's contract to get Diaz. So, and do teams want to help the Mets? No. They don't want to help a guy who's spending that kind of money. Just like they never want to help the Yankees. Why would they? You don't help the teams that are on top 
will have the most money. You don't want to help them. Nobody's going to help them. So the Mets don't ever have to become sellers. They are five and a half out in the wild card, and they're going to keep trying to compete for the wild card. And when that's gone, they're just going to keep trying because there's no reason for them to jettison these players. I mean, if they want to cut somebody, fine. If they want to open up a roster spot for somebody in the minors, fine, do it. That doesn't matter. That's not being a seller. The Mets don't need to dump contracts ever. Because money doesn't matter. Look what they spent this year. Have they gotten any bang for their buck? No. And we told you in the spring, the team didn't look like it had improved even with all the money they spent. But none of us expected this team to be this bad. None of us thought that Scherzer and Verlander would be this bad. None of us knew that Diaz was going to jump up and down and be out for the season. They have found a power hitter in their catcher. That's a plus. The other guys, I told you, I thought uh, that they had to send Vientos back to the minors. It didn't make sense for him to be here. He needed to go back and hit every day. It wasn't working. Beatty, I'd give him a chance. Alvarez, we know, can stick. And you know what? He's an aggressive player. Let him play. That's not an issue. But look at it. They're not getting enough out of the guys that they need to get it from. You know, we can, we can run down the litany of all the guys. But until this team gets some semblance of starting pitching, which will in effect help the bullpen, because the bullpen has been overworked all year. Any bullpen is overworked when the starting pitching fails. And the bullpen's not very good to begin with. It doesn't have a lot of depth. If you had Robinson setting up for Diaz, now you got a bullpen. I've never been a big Alfino fan anyway. I mean, the bottom line is right now, one thing impacts the other thing. They score runs. They battled back. They battled back again yesterday. They battled back on numerous occasions, tied the game at seven. Pham's been really good. He has to play. He's been, the ball's been jumping off his bat. He looked good in the Yankee series. He hit the ball really hard yesterday. Then he hit a home run. The bottom line is he has to play. They're crazy if they don't play him right now. But they're giving up way too many runs. They're getting killed in the first inning. How about their first inning numbers? They're almost hard to believe. The Mets hit two home runs in the last two days in, in the first inning. Nimmo hit one on Saturday. Lindor hit one on Sunday. Right? Or Nimmo hit one on Friday night, and, and Lindor hit one on Sunday. The bottom line is that was their third and fourth home runs in the first inning. They've given up 17 The amount of runs they've given up in the first inning is almost mind-boggling. That's bad starting pitching. Carrasco was awful yesterday. They have lost so many games where they have scored more than, you know, a good number of runs. They've scored six runs and lost way too many times. They are playing like a bad ball club now. That's all there is to it. 
Is it going to turn around? Listen, as I've told you all along, unless Scherzer and Verlander get on a roll, this team is not going to win. There's nothing else you can fix. You can't make the bullpen good enough to be a force. This lineup can do better, but it's not going to be a force. They have got to get something out of their two big studs. Otherwise, they are going absolutely nowhere. But there's no reason for them to be sellers. They don't have to dump contracts. And listen, Verlander's not going anywhere. Scherzer's not going anywhere. Whose contract are they going to dump? Who are they dumping to get a prospect? What player is going to be coveted by somebody on their team? Maybe somebody would want Robinson in the pennant race? Okay, but you're not going to get a lot for him. They're not getting rid of anything else. There's nothing else they have. That's, you know, they're keeping Lindor. They're keeping Alonzo. There's nothing else there. They're keeping Nimmo. They're keeping their core guys. There's nothing there that anybody's going to say, wow, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to give the Mets a real good prospect for this guy. There's nobody there. So why be sellers? There's no reason to. They'll try to get to a wild card and salvage the season. That's what they will try to do. They wake up this morning. There's a lot of teams in front of them. And they're 5.5 and a half games out of the wild card. An insurmountable number? No. I mean, you want an insurmountable. They're 12 games behind the lost column from the Braves. They're not catching the Braves. The Braves are in a different ozone than they are. They're in a different area code. But could they, in essence, get things turned around and win a wild card? Maybe. It's not, it's not impossible. And that's what they'll try to do with this team. Because there's nothing else for them to do. If they could make something in a, in a trade that improves them now or in the future, they would do it. But there's not going to be any major trades with them. Now to the Yankees. Listen, the Yankees obviously misjudged. Duh. Okay? He's the best player in the league. I would hope you would miss him when he's out. He's a two-way player. You're going to miss him when he's out. They don't catch the ball on the outfield when he's out. They don't hit when he's out. But here's the thing that's happened is that Rizzo and Stanton don't hit at all when he's out. So if Rizzo and Stanton aren't going to hit at all, what are they going to do when they don't have Judge and, in essence, don't have Rizzo and don't have Stanton? You see these numbers? Stanton, since he's come back, you see what his numbers look like? I mean, they're unbelievable. You know how, you know what I think of Rizzo. He has been an automatic out since Judge got hurt. Stanton is eight for his last 53, which is 151, but two for his last 23 with nine strikeouts. Rizzo is unbelievable how bad he is. I mean, Rizzo hasn't hit a homer in so long as you can't even remember the last one. I know they said he hurt his neck in the San Diego series. 
He got off to a good start this year. In his last 55 at-bats, he's 6 for 55 with 14 strikeouts and no homers. He's hit 109 in his last 55 at-bats. He's like 3 for 30-something. He's 6 for 55. He hasn't hit a home run in forever. He doesn't, he doesn't knock in any runs. He doesn't get on base. And he's also... Been, he hasn't even been as crisp on the base pass or with the glove. And we know he's great with the glove. So you have these guys in a complete, complete funk where they're doing nothing. It's almost like they're not in the lineup. It's worse than they're not. It's worse than if they were out of the lineup because if they're out of the lineup, the guy who's replacing him might hit a couple of balls. They have done nothing. Yankee offense has completely stopped. And you decorate these games with guys, you know, in the Yankee outfield that, you know, you shake your head. And you say, I cannot believe I'm watching these guys play for the Yankees in the outfield. I mean, that's all there is to it. You don't expect to see any of these guys in the Yankee outfield. And they put guys in the outfield who maybe hit a little. And if they hit a little, they can't field. I mean, Bowers can hit a little. He can't field. Calhoun can hit a little. He can't field. I like Calhoun's bat. You know, he goes up there, he's aggressive. He can't field. And, you know, when you have to, uh, and McKinney, listen, he's given them some good at-bats. But you know how limited he is? I've never thought anything of Cabrera. Never. I've told you that. None of these guys, even, even kind of Falefa, who's a good utility man, should not be starting in the Yankee outfield. And to see him in center field makes, you know, you're like, What? Shows you how limited they are. And how much they miss the guys who aren't in the lineup right now. I mean, you look at yesterday with the Red Sox. They got nothing in that doubleheader. They got four hits in the first game. They got five hits in the second game. They scored three runs in the doubleheader. They can't score right now, but it's not just judge out. It's all these other guys who don't hit. And their big two, Rizzo and Stanton, have done zero. I mean, absolutely zero. So we can get into, you know, why is this bullpen being used this way? Listen, in these games where runs are so hard to come by, I have been puzzled. I was puzzled in the second Met game how the bullpen was utilized and who was in and who was out. I was puzzled in Boston by some of that. It, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. I mean, unless somebody's got a sore arm and we don't know about it. That could be the case. But the Yankee problem is very obvious right now. They need to get their outfielders back. Starting with, of course, the best player in the league. 
And they need Rizzo and Stanton to return to the living. They are carrying so much dead wood in the lineup. I mean, this is the New York Yankees. I mean, the people in Boston must be giggling. Bowers at 230. Stanton might in an incredible slump. Torres, okay. He might fall into one. He's been okay. Sometimes he hustles, sometimes he doesn't. Rizzo in an incredible slump. LeMayu, except for a couple of games, has been just befuddling all season. Kind of for if it tries hard, he is a utility man. McKinney has hit, but you're talking about a guy who's had a limited, limited exposure, and if you give him more exposure, you're going to see the warts. Volpe, you know what? They're going to stick with him. He's going to battle to hit 200. He's going to have his moments. He's going to steal his bases. He's going to hit a couple of homers. He's going, you know, he's going to get through the season. I'm okay with that. Normally, they could carry that. They can't carry anything right now. They don't have any offense in the lineup. I mean, when you look at it, it's scary what's going on with that team. This is the New York Yankees. You look at their offensive numbers, you take Judge out. Torres has got 12 homers. Rizzo's got 11, hasn't hit one in forever. Other than that, Beta, we know, has been out too much. They need him to come back and, and, and play every day in center field. You can't use Donaldson. If you do, he's an automatic out. Stanton and Rizzo are never, never men. And then the other guys who were playing for them are not guys who you would have be ever in starting positions for the Yankees. It shows in the on-base percentage. They have two guys, without judge, they have two guys who are above 29% in on-base percentage. Two! Rizzo... And it's going straight down. And Torres has got a 330 on base percentage. That's it. So we can talk about the utilization of the bullpen. I've told you from the beginning, the bullpen is a bunch of pieces that are more impressive as pieces than they are in efficiency. Meaning that Their numbers are good. They are hard throwers. They are impressive throwers. But you can't trust them in a big spot. I don't trust King in a big spot. I don't trust Holmes in a big spot. They have guys they bring out who are impressive, who throw hard. But I don't trust them. Starting pitching, hot and cold. Sometimes impressive, sometimes not. I mean, that's just the way it is. You don't know which guy you're going to get. Very hot and cold. But let's be honest. The Yankees, without judge and with 
Rizzo and Stanton in, comat- in comatose states are not going to put up any numbers offensively. And that's where they are right now. Now they're 39 and 33. They're going to get Judge back, maybe not for a couple of weeks, but they're still going to get him back. They're going to get Bader back. They're going to, I believe, make the playoffs. That doesn't mean they're going to get a while. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to win the division because that's, you know, it's not going to happen. You know, they're 10 games behind Tampa Bay. I don't think they're going to catch them. They don't have to. And for all their issues, losing four straight, seven to 10, everything that's going on, they are still sitting there in the wild card slot with the slumping Astros who now see the Mets this evening. But right now, both teams, the Yankees and the Mets, 139 and 33, 133 and 38, are struggling. Struggling mightily in a season where a lot was expected. Are you looking for heads to roll? You know, it's amazing how quickly people jump to the manager. Hey, I understand once in a while you see a team change managers and get a jump start and things turn around. Like I always say, the people who make those decisions know internally they have a, they have a point of view on whether or not the voice that is in the manager's spot is getting through or not getting through. That is the thing they have to judge. Is this guy still getting through to my team? Plus, nowadays, you have to judge how much of the analytics department is pushing things on the manager. Is that a little? Is that a lot? Depending on the team, where is that? Sometimes you think these guys manage out of spite because they're being pushed so much by the analytics department. The funny yin-yang in baseball. You don't sit there and watch the NFL games and say to yourself, boy, you know, the analytics department is really messing with this head coach's head. But you do it in, ma- in baseball. You think they're messing with the manager's head. But it's amazing. As soon as something goes wrong, oh, get rid of the manager. That's time for the manager to go. Hey, it's the quickest of all fixes, but it often doesn't work. There are times it does. We've seen, you saw it last year with the Phillies. It did work. But a lot of that probably, if you go back and look at it, was other reasons more than just changing the manager. And sometimes it is the changing the manager and changing the voice and changing a little bit of the direction. And it, it's not like it's not possible. It is possible, but it's not any automatic remedy. It's not going to make Verlander and Scherzer pitch better. I'm telling you right now. If you change the guy sitting in that room, in that office, it's not going to make those guys pitch better. They're either going to or they're not going to do it. It has nothing to do with Buck Showalter or who's sitting in the spot. Now to the U.S. Open. You know, after Saturday, you looked at the leaderboard and you said, wow, the storylines here just jump off. You have Ricky, who really almost sank a 42-footer on 18 on Saturday and then missed 
what he should have made as a comebacker, and you could tell it bothered him. And maybe it was, I think it was kind of an omen of things to come. But you had hope, and everyone in America was pulling for Ricky. It was a great story. Then you had Clark, you know, who had won a Quail Hollow and was playing really well. Then you had Rory, who has been trying to win a major for now, going on nine years. And the same story all the time. Rory's going to hit it down the middle. Rory's going to give himself a chance with a lot of birdie opportunities. Can he make a putt? And then you had the best player in the world, Scheffler, who is always there. Week in, week out. On his bad weeks, he's there. We did not get the drama that I was hoping for yesterday. Give Clark credit. He deserved the win. He got himself out of trouble when he got himself in trouble. He made putts when he had to make putts. He made shots when he had to make shots. And now he's a U.S. Open champion. So kudos to him. Ricky, it started on 18 on Saturday. He never got it started on Sunday. Shot 75, fell back, finished fifth. So be it. It would have been a great story. Rory, it came down to the same thing it always comes down to with Rory. The announcers fall over themselves to tell you how great Rory is because they love him, and he is very talented. But it comes down to the same thing, and they never address it enough. He can't make a big putt. When, the, when it's on the line, he never makes a big putt. Not ever, ever, ever. And that's why he hasn't won majors. He, yesterday, drove it beautifully. He hit more greens in regulation than anybody. And he couldn't make a putt. And Sheffley yesterday, who shot even par and really never got started, actually played badly for him and still finished third in the U.S. Open. When he plays badly, he finishes in the top five. When he plays well, he wins. He has not been the same putter in the last, although yesterday he made a lot of par putts. Give him credit for that. But he didn't make the big putt that he had to make. It didn't fall. He had a lot of them he left on the lip. I mean, there's a lot of things that you saw from Sheffield yesterday. Sheffield is the most consistent player in the world right now. There's no question about it. Just look at his record. And when he plays badly, he's in the top five. And when he plays well, he wins. He just go. he's there every week. And he was there again. He just, he, he got himself in enough trouble and had to scramble out and just keep himself alive with some par putts and wound up shooting even par. So give Clark credit. Now at 29, we'll see where he takes this. He won a good tournament in Carolina. Then he turns around and wins a U.S. Open. So we'll see at 29 years of age, you know, where he takes his game. Does he become a... You know, a fixture, does it become a big star? We'll see. He played very well yesterday. Give him credit. He deserved it. Does Rory take this forward? We all hope so. Is this is a, a renaissance for Rory? We hope so. I don't worry about McElroy. I'm not one of these people who obsesses over him like so many of the golf announcers do. Bottom line is, 
We all know how much talent Rory has. We know we all know how well he hits the ball off the tee and how far and how high and how majestically he hits the ball. Bottom line is he can't make a putt. He's never made a putt. He can't make a putt, and that's all there is to it. And yesterday when he had to make a putt, he couldn't make a putt. And that's where he is. And the U.S. Open course settled down after the first day. You know, you see the guys who were knocking on the door. Fleetwood has knocked on the door so many times. You know, and yesterday he knocked on the door again with another brilliant round. But he, he wasn't going to win yesterday from where he was coming. Cantley and Shoffley are so close, but they haven't broken through yet. So those are the guys you're looking at to break through in the, in the uh, weeks and months to come. But there's only one major left. And they go to the Travelers this week. And there's a good feel to the Travelers. Uh, Ricky's playing. Scheffler's playing, Rory's playing. Uh, they do a good job of getting people. They, they, they fly a charter from the U.S. Open right to the travelers, so they make it easy for the families and people to go. They do a very good job with that, uh, getting people to, to commit to their tournament. They become a tournament that gets a better, probably gets a better group of golfers than they should. And if you're up in Connecticut, you're going to see a lot of named golfers this week. There's a lot of big-name golfers on that list. Like I said, Scheffler was on the list, uh, Rory was on the list, uh, Ricky was on the list. Um, there's plenty there. I didn't, I didn't notice if uh, I didn't notice if the U.S. Open champion is now on the list. But it looks like another, another very good. Let me look at the travels for a second before we wrap this up, just to see. Exactly, because a lot of you in the metropolitan area can zip up there and uh, visit this tournament this week up in the uh, uh, TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut. It's a nice tournament. You know, very, they do a good job. We have, uh, let's see, we have McElroy, Finnau. Fowler, Fleetwood, Thomas, he hasn't been playing well, Asayama, Cantley, Fitzpatrick, Scheffler, Rom, Shoffley, Clark, so he's there. Cameron Young. So that's a very good group. You got a very good group there, including the U.S. Open champion and McElroy and Fowler and Scheffler and Rom. So you got a lot of the big stars there at the Travelers coming up this week. We'll uh, take a look at that uh, come later in the week. Enjoy your Monday, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.